Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 181st episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's out there soaking up dollars while you're soaking up sunshine. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. How uh, how are things on your side of the lake this fine August evening? Very good, sir. Very good. Yeah, nothing too exciting on my side. Just the summer going way too fast, it feels like. Way too fast. It's like, I feel like I was just scrambling to prepare for my housewarming party on July 4th, and now suddenly we're halfway, God, halfway through August. It's like, it's going to be snowing the next time I turn around. Yeah, and we, we usually mark the end of the summer up here in our household based on when Fan Expo lands. That's our like version of San Diego Comic-Con, where 100,000 people descend on the convention center here in Toronto. Yeah. And we have a booth there that I run that's mostly toy-based, actually, not magic-based. And that's usually the, the long weekend at the end of August. But this week, this year, they moved it up a week. So it feels like summer is even more compressed than usual. Mm. It's, uh, yeah, a little sad, but I just mostly just don't want the snow to come back. I'm not looking forward to that again. <laughs> I feel like I haven't finished all my summer projects yet at the house. My my buddy, good, good friend of mine that I've known for 20 years, uh, was by last night and just got back from uh, the Yukon where he was hanging out with his <laughs> his life partner that moved up there on a government project. And they're talking about buying a place up there. And I was just the whole time nodding politely while I was thinking in my head, like, you insane animals. <laughs> like, what are you thinking? <laughs> Moving to that desolate wasteland. And he's just like, you know, I really love the mountains. I feel like I belong there. And I'm like, yeah, I like the mountains a lot, too. And then you get bored. And that's 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 a that's a whole other level but frankly that guy's probably got the right idea like as as climate change worsens they're probably in the best spot well, I, I mean it gets warmer but i don't know what the ozone protection's like up up that north far north oh maybe i don't know that I, I feel like we haven't heard about the ozone for a long time that used to be like a thing yeah that was know, like the, the first environmental layer. touchstone in the 80s and since heart fall, fallen out of the news cycle completely yeah um, hey, I'm glad to be here. Looking forward to sharing <laughs> valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today, mtgprice.com, to manage your collection, track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by me and some of the other best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Well, I have a feeling you wanted to ask me what the segments were this week. Hey, do we have four segments this week by any chance? Uh, we have like three and a half. So right, segment one, those. segment one is our top movers. We're going to talk about the cards that have moved the most in price this week. Segment two, we'll talk about our cards to watch, cards James and I like the looks of. Segment three, our metagame week in review. This week we have a MTGO Modern League, and segment 
three and a half. We'll talk a little bit about Throne of Eldraine collector's boosters and kind of what's going on in that space. Um, so we'll, we'll try and touch on that as and share with you the information that we've gleaned so far. But let's start off the week here with uh, one for James. Secrets of the Dead out of Dark Ascension Foils. Just under five bucks to almost ten for just about a double up. It's the uh, the flashback uh, commander uh, Savine or something like that. Um, it's also popular in Maldrotha, which is where the original spike was. And uh, you called this last week. Uh, what was your pick on this last week? What were the numbers? Well, this I called this. I, I thought there was very limited copies under seven or eight bucks. So my call was actually seven to go to fifteen. So we still got a mm. little ways to go to really make this a huge win. Um, you know, this getting out at current pricing, if you can get 10 bucks for it and you got in at, say, 6 or 7 eh, it's probably a hold for now. Um, but between uh, Flashback Lady plus Muldrotha, um, there should be good persistent pressure on this. It's a single printing foil, very unlikely to be targeted for reprint. Could go years without a reprint. Could be one of those cards that just never gets a reprint. Because um, it's, it's, like, it's not a linchpin card. You don't need it to service certain strategies. It's just a nice upgrade in the decks that want it. And that's the kind of card that can go a long time without seeing a reprint. Is it, It's the type of card that I would expect to see in Commander products a couple times, but not to get another foil copy for exactly. a long time. Exactly. Which is which is a, a lot of cards that we talk about here. Yeah, and I have like I have cards like this that, you know, like Thornbite Staff, buying into some of those foils in the early teens, like last February or March on the back of Vanifar. And getting through a couple of them during that hype cycle, but then getting caught holding. And then lo and behold, six months later, you've got another commander that wants that, the new eggs commander. And boom, sold one this morning. So a lot of this stuff that isn't hyper-specific, but can fit into a variety of strategies. Like, for instance, with Thornbite, it's about a commander that wants to untap and tap again. Um, You know, they're going to keep printing those options. So some of those specs have the backstop of eventually being experiencing additional pressure yeah so which is something i try and keep in mind when i'm looking at this stuff too right like what are you know what are kind of the worst case scenarios and and how do i move out of this in the future and do i think that i'm gonna be able to get more out of this down the road um, following that torian mauler out of morning tide torian mauler was a uh, was a popular one casually for a long time uh, because it got bigger when your opponents played spells. And if you were playing kitchen table magic, um, you probably weren't playing enough removal and this thing would get gigantic and obnoxious. It's less good in r- formats where people know what they're doing. Um, but notably it is a changeling that is quote unquote playable. <laughs> uh, it's not amazing, but it is a playable changeling, which is different from some of the other pl- changelings, which are very much not playable. Um, and the reason that matters is Atla, who was the kind of a late reveal commander uh, for the Populate deck, which had what looked to be the, I'm pretty sure is the worst com- headlining commander out of the four products. But Atla was in, is in the product and she kind of took things by storm, um, ended up getting people real excited. She's got a fun, cool effect, uh, that's a little meme, but also very playable and amusing. Uh, and being a changeling counts as being an egg. So you get paid, uh, for that, um, with Tori and Mahler. So that's where that's coming from. I think a couple other changelings have seen some pressure too, although not uh, mere entity later on in this list as well uh but changelings in general are are a little more appealing now because they're also eggs eggs yep all true egg egg 
<laughs> Next on the list, we've got Grand Arbiter Augustine the Fourth foils in theory going from thirty-three or so to about eighty. This is a, a price uh, plateau yo-yo that's been going on for at least six months now. Um, I know because I owned a few of these that I picked up. Um, I think it was when Lavinia was spoiled and it looked like there was reason to be picking up blue-white taxation control cards for EDH in the winter. Um, I picked up some of these in Europe at a pretty good price and I've been selling them for pretty solid profit. I think it's something like in at 25, out at 60 or 70 for these foils. And so every time I've seen this show up in these the weeklies a few times in the last couple of months. And I think the simple explanation is that people are um, posting cheap copies, not realizing that they could move them at a higher price point and they're getting bought up and it goes back to whatever the, you know, 70, 80, $90 copies were at the time. And so why people continue to get spooked and post so low, I don't really know because I've been successfully selling them on eBay at a significantly higher price. Um, but I don't actually consider this one to be a price movement so much as a little bit of a blip on the radar. Sure. I think that's I think that's good because we have definitely talked about this card more than once on this cast. Mm-hmm. Next on the list, we've got Eye of Nowhere, foils out of Champions of Kamigawa. That is a common out of that set, going from $2 to almost $5 in theory. Um, I think you're going to have trouble getting out of, on them at that price, but maybe not. The modern Twiddlestorm deck has been a bit of a meme this week, uh, showing up on a couple of different streams, and I think Saffron Olive ran it through on Against the Odds. Um, which tends to move some cardboard. And the whole idea here is that you're basically abusing Lotus Field. So you're using a bunch of different twiddle effects and splicing uh, onto Arcane, which is something that is near and dear to my heart. Definitely had one of those decks back in the day um, that I think finished with Ire of Kamani or something um, at the time. And so pretty stoked to see the Twiddlestorm thing, uh, you know, be a relatively successful looking tier 2 2.5 kind of deck like it strikes me as as fairly similar to jeskai ascendancy builds has the potential to just wreck people on turn two or three and a lot of the time it just sputters out um so uh, i don't know for how long we can expect the eye of the community to be on this deck but i would suggest probably exiting as soon as you can if you're holding any of the various pieces that uh popped off in foil that we're going to see on this list Okay, I think that's a good idea. These modern combo decks are one of my favorites to go hunting for um, card spikes uh, because you take cards that previously had no demand and suddenly have a lot of demand, and that's a recipe for a huge jump in price. So that's some of the best ways to get the most paid you can possibly be, but they tend not to be that persistent. Um, You know, they just, they typically don't have the legs to stay, and even if they do, they are, you know, they're a little one dimensional, so they kind of fall back for the most part and, you know, fall into that like they have their adherence, but they're not wildly popular type of thing. Um, so the prices don't stay crazy. Uh, and I mean, the number of, de- of combo decks that have been like, oh, this kind of came out of nowhere and spiked these prices and that it was amazing and con- prices kept getting higher. Like, I can't think of one. Like it's probably out there, but they're not very often. So uh, I, I, my, my point here is that I would, I'm on board with selling twiddle pieces because the odds yeah. of getting any better are just so low. And I don't have anything against the deck. It's just I've ridden that train a bunch of times, and I know where the stops are. The only thing I have to add to that is that these kind of opportunities are one of the reasons you want to keep a box of sleeved foils. Um, some people like I'm sure somebody like a Douglas Johnson will tell you that that 
process is crazy, um, you know, to sleeve every foil you get. But here's the thing. I, sleeving is pretty cheap, a couple cents per foil. And every week I end up going into my, I probably have 2,000 random foils or something sitting around, you know, in a sleeved box. And as long as they're decently well-organized, you're going to find that you're pulling 5 10 15 $20 worth of cards out of a, a little foil trove like that every week or two because stuff like this happens and rando stuff like a foil twiddle that previously nobody wanted at all turns into something that you can slide into your trade binder or throw up for 10 bucks on eBay or TCG and just exit and throw it into your usual mail batch and it works out. I, I have zero regrets in not ditching foils as though they were bulk. I have am a huge proponent of keeping your um, these types of cards that have a lot of potential but currently aren't doing much. So I keep a all of my bulk rares. I don't see I sell any bulk rares, even ones that are like sort of kind of bulk. I leave in there and I don't take out um, stuff that might be like a dollar or two. I just hold on to. Um, so I have a huge like I don't know a lot of that. Uh, it's dwindled over time because I keep taking stuff out of it, but I leave that alone. And also, um, foils, I like, like you said, the foil commons and uncommons, I just leave those in a box and I, and I don't ever buy list them because you're, you know, there's basically a floor on them for the most part. So, you know, they're not dropping much. And so what if they drop from 60 cents to 30 cents? Like you only had one, like, I don't care that I lost that value. I'd rather hold on to all of this because, oh, the other, you know, just a couple days ago, I went through and dug out dream chisels that were previously had no value. And in fact, now that I say this out loud, I'm just remembering that I have to go look for my Ixidors too. Cause I know there's a couple of Ixidors in there. So, um, you know, don't sell yourself. Don't, don't sell the opportunities because part of the appeal of having, you know, churning collections like that, is you get to hold on to this stuff and get paid again and again over time. Um, and really I'm actually kind of sad that, uh, the market for buying collections in my area dried up because I really enjoyed, finding all that type of stuff and holding on to it and, and coming back to it later. And, and now it just gets eaten by the store. So there's no more opportunity for that, which sucks because there's a ton of money in it. <laughs> it's also one of the reasons that, you know, stuff like Russian modern horizons um, has been so tasty is that, you know, foil ephemerate popped off from like a dollar to $5 on $5 on that meme deck last week. Well, the foil Russian copy, I can throw up at 10 or 15 and maybe get a hit on that. You know, have a forty percent mm-hmm. chance or so of, of selling that into a hype cycle, and that is essentially free, given the way that the costing of those boxes works. Yep. Uh, nice, nice lunch that you find every now and then. Yeah, it also goes for tokens, right? Like, there's you should, probably shouldn't be throwing away tokens. You should be scooping them at draft tables and stuff, because it's, especially if you know which of the tokens in each set are more and less common because the most common ones are never going to be worth anything but some of them you know like monastery monk to uh, monastery mentor monk tokens from favor forge go for two or three bucks now i've sold hmm. multiple play sets of russian ones this year for over 12 bucks a set those the tokens i'm like less into just because you're like oh the monastery monk tokens go for two or three bucks like yeah i still don't care to sell them for that much money and there's not there's not that many tokens that have any value like that right like there's a there's a there's certainly some but it's not like it's that many there's i mean the worm coil engine tokens are the big ones there's probably 20 or 30 over a dollar buy list mind you and 
And it, part of this depends on kind of like how old your collection is. If you've been around for a while, if you're a 15, 20, 25 year player, um, you should definitely have your tor- tokens organized because you could have some really nice old tokens like those old squirrel zombie soldier tokens. Yeah, those are um, the unglued ones. Yeah. I mean, you probably have that stuff sitting around that you don't realize is worth a few bucks a piece. So it, it depends. It's, it's not like a huge priority or anything. It's just, you know, ways of organizing your collection for a little bit extra profit. Sure. Yes, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Just because it's not my preferred way to uh, to deal with it. Um, okay. Wow. God, what was that? Was that Eye of Nowhere? I think it was, right? Yep, that was the last one. So, so obscure, Obscuring Aether is the other, the better dream chisel, essentially, that people kind of forgot was in there. Um, these finally popping off. Those are foils, $1.50 to like three and change uh, on the back of, again, the morph deck. It's essentially a better dream chisel. Uh, it has all your spells cost one less, but also you can turn it turn it face down, which gives you an advantage, uh, some tricks, because then you can turn it face back up to trigger stuff. Uh, so a nice little jump there. You're not going to see too much growth out of this simply because uh, it's so new. It's kind of to dark here. Yeah, and this is like, our most hated spot the like dollar 50 to four dollars and people only buy one at a time yeah uh, very rarely it's, a real a real profit event they're tempting but like at the same time getting rid of them is annoying it works if the buy list catches up and then you take you know trade and credit but even still yeah i, I mean i thought it was funny to post foil russian secret plans on twitter but i wasn't surprised when nobody took me up on it yeah <laughs> i wouldn't have been either um, okay, so next on the list, we've got Cabal Stronghold out of Dominaria. Foils going from $4 to $11. Um, we've got the new Son of Yawgmoth on the horizon, having people look freshly at mono black decks. Um, and Cabal Stronghold out of Dominaria is, I think, only an uncommon, but the foils were already looking relatively thin, I think, a few weeks back. And I think we already talked about these, I want to say, not so long ago. Well. Cabal Stronghold is a rare. Oh, is it a rare? So it's a, yeah, it's oh, a rare. I like, I like the foil significantly better in that case. That one's a, that's the it's like the fixed Cabal Coffer, so it's three mana tap at a black for each basic swamp you control. So I mean it's 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 a fixed version, but it's still still a little weak. I think it's definitely well, people will still probably but, play it. But one of the factors that will drive this higher is that the price gap between this and Cabal Coffers is massive. Yeah, so that's true. Um, and you probably want both. Like when you're when you're playing Gaia's Cradle, that doesn't mean you're not playing Growing Rights of Itlamok. It probably means you're playing both. Yeah, um, yeah. And one is significantly better than the other. This is another one of those cases where the redundancy in the deck is is beneficial because. You know, obviously you would prefer to have the overpa- totally overpowered version of the card, but you'll take the other one in a pinch, especially since in a standard uh, game, it was pretty tough to ever get to the position where you were getting enough upside on Cabal Stronghold to make it worthwhile. But in Commander, when you've got some more time and you tend to have mana rocks that tap for multiple colorless mana to, to set it off, you know, uh, it's not going to take too much more to to drain the already dwindling supply down to almost nothing. These are 15 to $20 foils a ways out for sure. It's, it is a ways out, but uh, I do agree that like people are still going to play it, especially if Cabal Coffer stays a nutty price, because what else are you going to do? Right. You're not going to, you're going to, you're going to play it if you have to. 
Uh, Mirror Entities out of Modern Masters 2015 uh, foils like five and change up to uh, almost 15. Um, this is, like I said earlier, uh, on the back of Atla because it is an egg and it can kill all your eggs if you want to. In fact, there's a fun little play with Mirror Entity where you just activate it for zero and every creature you control becomes an egg and then dies immediately. Uh, <laughs> which allows you to just flip like a ton of stuff. <laughs> Um, or just make all your stuff huge and annoying, but uh, pretty good move there for Mirror Entity, a card that's kind of floated around on the edges before. Um, you know, 15 is probably a little high, but I bet you can get 10, 10 to 12 for these guys. Yeah, it's it's a bit tricky. Like Jason's article today was talking about how I think Atla is the number one build on EDH uh, rec this week, so that obviously Close to it, I think, yeah, that obviously matters. Uh, let me just see, double check on that stat. Yeah, number one in the past week, Golos being number two, Kaikar being number three, and Atla was 50% more popular than anything else. Um, so y- you may Egg. well be able to get out of your foil mirror entities. Uh, I think I have a foil Japanese sitting around in that random foil box, so I guess I got to go pull that now. Yep, that's the yeah, that's the one problem is you're like, I got to go dig more of this crap out. As long as you're well organized, it's not a tremendous big deal. And the other thing about this stuff is that if you're doing it right, you have it on hand near your Netflix station. <laughs> and all you're doing is adding profit to what would normally be pure infotainment consumption. Please, James, it is the Star Trek station. Oh, are you, are Star, you, Tre- Star Trek is the program of choice to you, watch while doing this crap. Are you talking about Next Generation? Uh, no, I watched through Next Generation. I'm currently working through DS9. Oh, interesting. Did you also watch that uh, Black Ops one from that came out a couple of years ago? No. So I watched TNG for the first time a couple of years ago. Well, I just say the first time I used to watch with my dad, but like on my own all the way through a couple of years ago. Uh, actually, I watched Voyager first, which was probably a good introduction because I got through Voyager and liked it enough to keep watching Star Trek and Voyager is considered the worst one by wide margin. Uh so then I went and watched Next Generation. I'm like, oh, this is way better. Um, and now uh, I had taken a little bit of a break, but reading some stuff, I'm like, I should really go watch DS9 because everyone talks about that. And it is it is quite good. So I'm enjoying that right now. And I, But I have not caught up on Enterprise, which is the one with Scott Bakula that was a couple years ago. Uh, and I know there's Star Trek Discovery, which I haven't watched yeah, at that's, all. That's the one I'm talking about, the Black Ops one. I think that one's interesting if you, come, if you are pretty... Uh, have been like hip deep in all the rest of them to come to that one is interesting because it's uh strong on adventure but challenges kind of the the moral tone of most of the other star trek offerings that does sound fascinating i will see what my tolerance for star trek is when i finish ds9 (laughs) if i want to jump right into another one or not we've we've ticked our nerd quotient fanboy quotient (laughs) Move I've never to- worn any Star Trek attire, nor do I have uh, plans to. I want to just—it's <laughs> just so unflattering. I mean, why would I choose that as my cosplay? Yeah, there's like a couple versions of the outfit that actually look pretty good, but I agree overall, it's not a not an ideal outfit. The only time it ever really looked good is when they basically just painted the outfits onto Troy and some of the other chicks, and it's like <laughs> this is not even this is not even like a Star Trek outfit. You just put this woman in a bodysuit for no reason. Yeah, she got she got the the extra cleavage version of the outfit because she was like an empath or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But I will tell you though, Jerry Ryan and Voyager. Whew, yeah, she's, was, she's she's a looker. 
and we did are you ever hear super that? big nerds. Did you ever hear that uh, little tidbit about how she got Barack Obama elected? No. So Jerry Ryan uh, in like 2008, maybe 2010, was married to the Republican senator who was running against Obama for the senator of Illinois. Sure. And I think he was ahead of the head in the polls. I think I could be that detail could be wrong. But she then came out and said she filed for divorce and then said uh, he ruined he he ruined sex and intimacy for me because he kept dragging me to all these sex clubs and making me get involved in all this wild <laughs> stuff and he ended up withdrawing from the race and obama won which led to him becoming president and all i remember hearing about that story was are you telling me that if i had been frequenting sex clubs in the chicago area in 2008 i would have seen jerry ryan i i was in a gay club in toronto one night many moons ago and alicia silverstone was making it with a chick right beside me and it <laughs> blew my mind in similar fashion at the time it wasn't too far long after clueless so it was kind of a big deal at that that's, particular moment that's kind of cool yeah it was funny uh this is extremely in i'm gonna say inappropriate probably inappropriate and also very much off topic so yeah uh <laughs> Anyways, Loyal Retainer is out of Commander's Arsenal. Uh, Foil's 25 to 72 here. Uh, God, I hope so, because I've got several Commander's Arsenals that are still sealed. Um, You've got the Gerard EDH deck written down here. I I hadn't seen that, but I guess that makes sense. Yeah, because Loyal Retainers lets you bring back a legend from your graveyard, right? So there's a bunch of different shenanigans you can do in the Gerard deck. Uh, This is new Gerard we're talking about that lets you bring creatures and artifacts back that went there uh, during the turn. So I'm going to look for it now. Basically, you get to use loyal retainers over and over again. Oh, uh, what is his name? Gerard. What's the new one called? Do you remember? Uh, give me one second. I will look that up for you. It is. Should be pretty simple. And yet it's not coming to the tip of my tongue. I believe it is Gerard Weatherlight Hero. 3-3 three, three, first strike, 2 red, white. When he dies, exile uh, and return to the battlefield all the artifact and creature cards in your graveyard that were put there from the battlefield this turn. So Loyal gotcha. Retainers says you get to sack it and go get get a legend, right? Um, so the Loyal Retainers ends up getting reused. Get a legend yeah, okay. Legend. Oh, does that create a... That creates a loop of some sort, right? Because you can attack with Gerard. Uh, oh, no, because you exile Gerard when he dies. Um, hmm. But right, yeah, that's because, definitely where that's coming but, from. But with a, because he's the commander, you get to choose whether he goes to the graveyard or the command zone, right? Uh, well, he specifically says when he dies, exile it. Sure, but so he, you, that, you, still, you, that still lets you make the choice, doesn't it? No. When Gerard but goes to, dies, but then he goes exile to, it. Which goes to the command and zone. Then he, yes. Yes, yes, yes. He doesn't, my point would be, you don't get to leave him in your graveyard. Like, he, okay. he has to leave your graveyard. You just choose whether he goes to the exile zone or the command zone. Hmm. I'll have to double check on all that, but suffice to say, Loyal Retainers is but definitely I mean, a Gerard thing. Correct. Yeah, 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 I agree with that. I agree the, with that. the funny thing here, though, is that they went after Commander's Arsenal and left the Amonkhet invocation alone. It didn't spike. So, fairly, it's very unlikely that a bunch of Commander players decided to go after the Commander's Arsenal. So, I would consider this a uh, artificial movement in a sense that. Um, no one is chomping at the bit for the loyal retainers necessarily. It's just somebody took a swipe at something that had low supply. 
yeah leaving behind a higher than previously known price yep i i mean i forgot the invocation was even there so and as much as i hate the invocation frame it's definitely better looking than the commander's arsenal version because the art the actual art on the on the invocation is quite lovely well, retainer, so that's the uh, commander's arsenal. Where that? Oh, there it is. Oh, uh, yeah, it is kind of. I do like it. The invocation frames are so weird, but I do. I do have a soft spot for them. I cannot believe they thought we weren't going to be able to read these. What the hell did they? <laughs> were they thinking? Still on that. <laughs> I, that's just. It's just offensive. All right, moving right along. Ephemerate foils out of Modern Horizons from $2 to $5, as I mentioned earlier. This is on the back of Modern Bant Flicker, uh, the other meme deck from the last couple of weeks uh, with Soul Herder. Um, deck actually looks like it might be have a little bit of staying power. Like, I've watched a few playthroughs with it, and it's not... It's a pretty solid deck. Um, very resilient and capable of kind of coming out of nowhere with wins. Is that does that mean it's a future tier one deck? No, it's in that same category as twenty other decks that might five zero a league any given week, but are very unlikely to top eight a major event. Um, yeah, but that doesn't mean the cards won't sell. I mean, modern is pivoting into this space of play whatever you want because competitive magic is being submarined anyway. So the, <laughs> the more that that goes on, the better it is for people like us because it just means that jankier stuff will be embraced to a greater degree because people won't be worrying about whether they can qualify with their deck they'll just be worrying about having fun which is in many ways better for the vendors i mean the the rise of casual magic is great for vendors uh because that just means so much more churn on trading in and buying smaller cheaper stuff also i'm willing to bet that there's a better better rate on casual stuff because you get to sell it to well maybe that's not true as i say you get to sell it to players and they don't trade it back in like no one bothers to trade in their three dollar edh cards but they'll trade in their thirty dollar standard staples but i guess that's not good for you anyway it's because you want the churn if they don't trade it back in you can't sell it so henyways anyways casual magic seems to be very good for well i mean we've talked before about the, one of the big angles for why casual magic and in general and you know commander in specific has been so good for wizards slash vendors is that you're shifting from a culture where I, a lot of grinders you know you and i both have friends who are on the grind or were at least for a long time um you know they'll tell you they don't they don't have a like collection of decks for modern they're playing the best that what they think is the best deck in the format and they often trade out of an older deck to get into a newer deck you know, people, when Hogak gets banned, people aren't going to hold on to their Hogak deck. They're going to trade out of those pieces to get whatever they need to switch to some other deck to fill some holes in whatever they think the new meta shift is. Whereas commander players are just in a completely different mindset. It's about a collection of decks. And that's not every commander player, but a much greater percentage of that population than the grinder population is looking to own a bunch of things as a badge of honor. You know, I've, I've been playing commander a long time. I have 15, 20, 30 decks, whatever. Look at all my decks. Um, and this is like, this is my hobby. Like the sub hobby within magic for me is for these people is that they're managing those decks, updating them, you know, brainstorming ideas around them, communicating with other people on social media about them. And then as new pieces of the puzzle emerge, pulling them back out, building or rebuilding them. And, and, you know, it's, um, an excuse to own a much larger swath of cards and to consider them important within the context yeah. of how you experience the hobby. Yeah. I, and I, I mean, I'm guilty of that myself. Uh, I think we probably both are right. Um, 
you know, kind of owning all that, all the cards and being like, yeah, I'm, I, you know, I don't want to own all this crap, but like, I'm okay owning a little bit of it, which makes it more fun. Yep. All right. You're, so next, you're okay keeping it. Next on the list is a card we were talking about pretty heavily in the Pro Trader Discord last couple of weeks. Whisperwood Elemental was not reprinted. Um, even a non-foil for the the morph deck and commander. So favorite forge foils promptly went from just about five bucks to about fifteen. I figure you can probably exit on these in the ten to twelve dollar range pretty easily. Actually, um, it's I think it's an auto include in that deck makes perfect sense. And you only really need fifty, hundred, two hundred people to decide they want to foil Whisperwood Elemental for that price to hold. Yeah, I, I you know I'm. It's not the type of card that I would be super in on, but it does not need a lot of demand to get there. The, the key is that it's a, is where this comes is that it's a mythic. Yeah. A five-year-old mythic. So the foils just weren't in a particularly deep supply anyway. It's already a half-decent card in Commander, even without the morph deck. Yeah. Yep. Um, then Primal Whisper out of Legions foils a dollar and change to five. He's also based on morph. Nothing too exciting um same with dermoplasm a dollar and change up to this one 10 or 11 sure whatever pulled one, uh, of, the, pulled one of those foils out of my foil box nice nice they're um the morph deck has proven to be very unpopular on eda trek so far um not unpopular as i guess but like relatively it hasn't been nearly as popular as the other ones i don't know if that'll change over time or what um psychic puppetry out of champions of kawangawa foils five up to like 30 um, again, this is the modern Twiddle Storm decks, so we touched on that already. Um, here's the first one; it's a little different. Uh, Pontiff of Blight foils out of Dragon's Maze, a dollar and change to ten bucks. Um, so one to ten is a pretty big jump. Now I was looking at this earlier; the market price is still at about a dollar and change, a little under two dollars. So it hasn't moved yet, but the lowest copy was ten bucks. So Pontiff of Blight ha- has extort and gives all your other creatures extort. So uh, that allows you to go pretty hard uh, on pain life with Kirik or whatever the hell his name Kyrick. is. Kirik. Um, the, um, yeah, because the deal there is that you're as you're bleeding life to pay mana costs, you're recouping some of that life on the fly and draining your opponents. So that's an, a nice little engine. Extort cards in general seem like perfect fits in his deck. Yeah, because extort is each opponent loses a life and you gain that much. So if you have three opponents and you pay two life to extort, you lost two life, everyone else loses a life, you gain three back. So you gained a life on the exchange. So you are maxing out extort as much as possible. If Pontiff of Light gives all your spells extort, now you you cast a spell. If it's got like eight extort triggers, you pay the life, you end up... If it's got if you've got eight creatures, you have eight extort triggers, you gain eight life, and your opponents each lose eight life. And that's for one spell. So you can uh you can accomplish a lot with it. Yeah. And in Kirik, it's it's like Aetherflex Reservoir, number one synergy card, Pontiff of Blight is right there, number two, then Blood Celebrant that we talked about last week. Yeah. Yep. Um Finally, uh, following that is Diochan, Artful Beauty, foils out of Commander's Arsenal. Somebody is, is somebody just making a shot at Commander's Arsenal here? Is that what's going on? Because I couldn't really find a good reason for Diochan either. Yeah, and this price is not real. It's one of these situations where 
you know, I, I hate using the words buyout. That's not what it is. It's people buying up relatively scarce copies. And then you have, whether it's that person or somebody else has the remaining higher than it previously was price. It's a test. It's a test for the market. Um, John Medina was on, was on Twitter talking about how it's, you know, attempted market manipulation. And I think that that assumes too much. It's entirely possible that somebody can, can buy something and then post it at a higher price and try to quote unquote manipulate the market, but it's not actually manipulation because they have no leverage. They're one of the things that's a gamble. Well, one of the things that's interesting about magic is it's not like it's not water and you're not thirsty. It's a game with tens of thousands of cards, many of which are slightly different than one another. So even, you know, when we were talking about, you know, Cabal Stronghold versus Cabal Coffers, we're talking about, you know, how much do you want to spend for this effect? And how good does the effect need to be to justify the additional price? And Diochan is not in any way a card you must have to play a certain deck. It's a maybe nice to add to a few kinds of builds in one format, which means you don't really have any true leverage. The next person that comes in and sees the price that used to be $10 and is now posted at $110 doesn't go, oh, I have no other choice. I have to buy this at $110. They have to elect to believe that the value is there. They have to look at that and go, well, Commander's Arsenal is really old. They're never going to reprint these. Um, I can probably look, hey, look, I can buy list it for this. So I can probably value it at price X. And if that price X is equivalent to what they posted price Y, then the sale will take place. And if it doesn't, then undercutting will take place. This card will keep get, getting posted at lower and lower prices until somebody buy, like bites and buys it. At which point that will set the new plateau that everybody refers to as though it's gospel when in fact it's just a single data point <laughs> or a couple of data points. And, you know, people really need to wrap their heads around these dynamics and get a get a sense of how most accurately to discuss what's going on. You can laugh at somebody who posts a really high price versus what last week's price is, but if it gets paid, they're the ones going to be laughing at you. And if it doesn't get paid, they're the one that took the risk and the, the market didn't suffer at all because it's not like you had 4,000 people trying to get a Diochan and nobody can get it even though they'd be willing to pay 50 because this guy wants 100. And they, they can't broker you know, the silence between them. They always have the opportunity to reach out to, a, to a, buy, uh, a seller or a buyer in either direction and float a potential deal, right? Mm -hmm. The mechanics are all there to, for these gaps in supply and demand to get filled very easily. Yeah, I, I don't love the term buyout either, and I understand where it comes from, uh, and, I, and I'm always reluctant to use it. Like, yes, somebody bought the card out, but like you said, they can't, they don't have the power to make that price stick, and I can't force people to buy my Diochans, and they don't have to buy Diochans. They can just not buy the card, and that's totally fine. So, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. Um, I mean, so, market I guess, manipulation is... is you need to have some kind of leverage. Like the closest thing in my day-to-day -day life is when I go to the movies, I pay like $20 for popcorn or whatever. And popcorn and a drink. Popcorn and two drinks, I guess it is. And that's a ridiculous price for what should cost $1.50, some total. But you're trapped in a place where they say you can't bring other food in. And so if you want to eat this, this is going to be the price. And you know that going in. And even that's not market manipulation because I could just sit at home and buy microwave popcorn or bake my own fresh. Like you really have to be in a situation where it's like people are thirsty. <laughs> you poison to the local water supply 
but first you siphoned off several thousand liters and now you're selling it back at 10 times what it was last week. Then we have an argument to be had. Yeah, I'm trying to like decide on what would constitute as market manipulation. It would really, it has to be very intentional, very manipulative. I mean, like, but you also have to like leverage even I, I because I, the part I don't question is that people try this. I guarantee you many, many foolish people buy up magic cards that are in short supply thinking that they, they are going to get to set the price. But that doesn't mean that they're actually successfully manipulating the market. It means that they are testing the market. And some and most of the time they fail <laughs> because operating on supply side alone is not going to make you much money. That's why we tell I, like dis, our people in the Discord all the time, focus, don't try to take down a sell wall. A sell wall is like somebody's got 150 copies of something posted. And you feel like if it was just out of the way, then the price would start to move on that card. The reality is that you're going to be holding way more of the supply than demand will ever take off your hands. And it's going to become a problem. So you're much better off focusing on something where demand is moving the needle and you're just stepping in to mop up a little bit at the end. Yeah, you're just on the roller coaster. You know what I think of for, for market manipulation is like getting Congress to outlaw some particular popular item such that like your version remains legal and now people have to buy yours instead of the other one or something to that effect. Like essentially leveraging outside factors to change the viability or desirability of something you hold. Yep. Exactly. So, I mean, so long, a long winded way of saying, Market manipulation in magic finance is more about people testing the market with sometimes unrealistic prices. I guess if you wanted to have market manipulation in magic, I think the version of that would be like the ED, someone on the EDH committee buying up a ton of one card sure. and then getting wizards to print a commander that rewards that card and then getting paid or buying a card you know you're going to unban. Yeah, some if other some other examples committee. would be like a pro ahead of a pro tour dropping a bunch of hints about a card being broken and that they had broken a deck and when they had had never done so. Or someone like a major personality like Saf uh, writing an article about a deck and claiming that he went 15-0 with it when in fact he didn't. I mean, most of these things have never happened or never will happen. And most of what people constantly refer to as market manipulation is no more than there was five copies of something they were posted at 20 somebody bought them now the only guy left is at 110 he will probably not get that price and now the market gets to you know set the price from some future seller reposting at a lower price yeah all right final card of the week uh the eponymous twiddle foils from eighth edition 80 cents to 25 dollars a good example maybe Good luck. A good example. Uh, but I'm going to have to go through my foil uh, foil box and see if I have any of these. Sure. So Twiddle Mean Beck goes off. Foil Twiddles are sitting around at a buck. When they're drained, the remaining prices are in the high 20s, which were just placeholder prices probably. That's that's the other thing that bothers me is that most of the time it's not even somebody attempting to get that price. As we discuss in the Discord all the time, our members will frequently, as TCG player vendors, if they're not sure what they want to sell something at, but they want to make sure it's in their inventory so they don't have to double check on it later, they'll just post it at some ridiculous price, not hoping to ever have it sell, but just because then at least it's there visible to them to notice later and they can refine it as it goes. And that's typically the price that's left over in these situations because you don't post a sky high price thinking you're going to get it. Like you might put 
if average market average is 10, you might put 15 thinking that it's going to drain in a couple months and you'd like to hold on for the extra four or five bucks, but you're not going to put 25 when everybody else is charging a dollar. That's not like something you actually thought was going to work. <laughs> yeah. You watch the market empty and you go, okay, well, I'm the only one with copies. So I guess I'll list them at a dumb price and maybe I'll get lucky and somebody will buy it. And if they don't, that's totally fine too. Uh, you know, I will adjust as the market adjusts and play it day by day and hopefully I get lucky, but you never really like bank on selling it for that much. And, and honestly, one of the things I have done in the past that is actually very effective is chasing back towards, like say I have a placeholder price up and something sell, does sell out. I'm going to actually intentionally lower my price because the psychological barrier of going from a dollar to 25 is so high. If somebody's looking at recent sales and comparing to your sky high price, the odds of you selling it, if it's not a truly essential card, if it's a card that's, you know, in a Hogak deck, that's one thing. Um, or if Lava Dart is finally suddenly reprinted into modern, the original Lava Dart foil is obviously going to be worth a lot of money. I bought some of those in Europe at six bucks, sold them for 25 a piece. Um, but when it's something like Foil 8th Edition Twiddle, it's not even 7th Edition, it's 8th Edition, um, you're going to have trouble. So you're much better off if you're holding one of those to try to sell it for $9.99 and not go for the $24.99 just because that's what you found on MTG Price or MTG Stocks. You know, post a realistic price and you'll sell your card. Yeah, that too. That too. Okay, segment two, our cards to watch. Uh, cards you've got quite a... to watch. <laughs> you've got quite the bevy for us this week. Uh, you were busy, so why don't you? Uh, why don't you get us started here? Are we breaking the record? What are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine picks? Last week it was like two or three weeks ago. It was quite a few. I think that was seven picks. So we are beating the record by two. Uh, all that value. It was Jeez, nine. Would... It was nine. Episode one seventy seven was nine. Okay. Still, all that value. I wish I was a pro trader. Um, <laughs> my first pick this week is Reflecting Pool. Uh, I think this is pretty much a slam dunk. Uh, we're talking about the version from Conspiracy, non foils. The currently around fifteen bucks. Not too much of a price ladder between that and them hitting twenty five dollars, which would be something like a sixty seven percent gain minus fees. Um, foils could also go 40 to 55 or 60, I think, in about the same time period. There's very relatively few of those lying around. This is this card is in 10% of all EDH decks with 22,000 entries on EDH rec. No way that this price movement doesn't go down. And it could catch a reprint, but I'm not going to worry about that till I hear tell of a master style set coming our way. That is, uh, that's a juicy one. I do like reflecting pools. People come back to this all the time. It's popular in modern in certain strategies. I think they play in humans now too, right? Um, hugely popular in EDH. Uh, do you have any of the original uh, Shadowmore printings, James? I might have in my personal collection, but I'm not currently holding from a spec perspective because they're already carrying a premium. Those were now. Did you did you know that those had the special uh, foil stamp on them? No. Yeah, the Shadowmork foils had a error, and I don't know if it was all of them, but some of them had an error where they have the uh, the planes symbol as a watermark in the text box, even though the card is not a planes. There are basically none of those foils. 
like there's one seller on tcg for the original foils at about 60 bucks a piece four copies in stock no one else has any posted at all and then the non-foil originals are sitting in and around the same as the conspiracies about 16 17 dollars a little bit more but there's hardly any of those left either there's 11 listings so i think like chasing some of the originals you'd be hard done to get hurt by that yeah i mean if you can find them i would imagine that's got to be damn near impossible but uh so there you go there's a neat little trivia about them in any case uh i do think the foils from or uh, oh the non-foils from conspiracy are pretty well positioned the foils too probably 40 to 55 not a a humongous jump but still very likely to just keep going i chose non-foils because the percentage gains looked likely to be better um but Going for original foils at, say, 50 to 60, if you can track them down, and then hoping that they will eventually be 100 seems pretty solid, too. Yeah, I don't see people probably paying too much of a premium for the Shadowmoor ones. They are um, the same art. Yeah, they are the same art. And, like, most people don't know about the uh, the watermark, and you probably don't care even if you do know. So there's not, like, a huge reason to bother. Um, just a fun little piece of trivia, really. All right. What's your first pick this week? Um, I am starting off the week with uh, Gisela, Blade of Gold Knight. Um, you'll remember this is the uh, the angel that doubles all, essentially doubles all the damage you deal and re- says that you take half damage from everything that hits you. Um, it is currently in over 8,000 EDH rec decks. So it's a pretty popular card. And remember, this is a Boros card. So a Boros card in 8,000 EDH rec decks is quite solid. Um, I didn't actually look if she's um, how popular she is for the color pair, but I bet you it is uh, high. Um, it's but like she f- is 15% of 53,000 decks. Yeah, and I'm, I'm wondering how, if there are any Boros cards. It looks like Boros Charm is the most popular Boros card uh, at 14,000 decks. Oh, yeah, Gisela, Blade of Gold Knight, is the second most popular Boros card. Um, in any case, uh, it is hard to imagine most Atla decks not playing Gisela. Remember, the deck uh, wants to play nothing but huge, awesome creatures that pop out when you break eggs. And Gisela is a very good, huge, awesome creature. Um, the foils out of Masters 25 has uh, quite low supply, and that ramp is real steep. So if you're buying copies at 11 to $12 today, I really would be shocked if you don't get to sell these at 20 to 25 in the by the end of the year, basically once the decks are in people's hands. Single printing foil, yeah? No, it was in Everson Restore too, but those prices are already like 30 bucks. And it was also in one of the other products. Uh, it was like, hold on, wait, I can give you the name of it. It was Commander Anthology Volume 2. So non-foil. So, no, that was foil. Really? Because the Commander Anthology copies were like the generals were foil or something like that in the commander anthology sure sure sure. but they're the weird foil i'm pretty sure they're the ftv foil which people don't want so the real question is are are both the m25 is the m25 foils are they parallel in price to the originals or are they sitting below them so the originals are like 30 some odd dollars the masters 25 foils are like 11 bucks right now and 
the M25 foils are actually the most desirable because the Commander's Anthology, I'm pretty sure, is the FTV foiling. And the Abyssin Restored foils are those ones that they botched that were really murky. So the Masters 25 is the only normal quality foil. And it has the uh, Boros watermark in the background in foil. Oh, that's probably true. I didn't even think about that, which is a nifty little treat. Yeah, it's why well, I've had no trouble whatsoever selling like dollar foil unearths at 10 bucks a piece um, nice. faster than I've been selling the Modern Horizons ones. So there you go. That's my first pick. Yeah, it's got a nice steep ramp on it. Uh, supply is relatively limited. As you said, it's one of the most popular Boros cards. Fits into Atla. This is good, solid, good, solid pick, brother. All right, let's uh, jump into a whole bunch of... I promised people on Twitter and in our Discord last week that we were going to be talking about uh, undervalued uh, Magic Core 2020 rares. Um, I've been shy about the foils here where I would normally would have been very excited for all of these cards in foil. Um, but because the foil drop rate is higher and we haven't really seen how that's going to shake out in the market, like I'm going to be running some stats maybe for an article within the next month where I'm going to compare foil availability levels for um, prior core sets and other sets in the last year to this core set and see what the drop rate really did in terms of how the market inventory uh, is shaping up. But for now, I'm just looking at a bunch of rares that are ridiculously underpriced because they're not being played in the current standard decks. So one of the cards that caught my eye was Villas Broker of Blood, currently available in and around a dollar. I think I picked up some copies as low as 75 cents this week um, over in Europe. And... For these to not get to a 2 to $3 buy list, say in a one to two year period, seems very unlikely to me. This is in some ways a kind of interchangeable, big demon-y thing that does stuff, but it's the fourth most popular card in the set on EDH Rec. 670 decks have already been reported using it. It's an 8-8 eight, eight for 8, flying, black, pay two life, target creature gets a minus one, gets minus one, minus one until end of turn, and whenever you lose life, you draw that many cards. So it in some ways has a gristle brand like feel to it. And again, this is about um, redundancy. You might be running gristle brand, but you might also run Villas and there's no denying that the card is powerful. I don't see it ever being a five to $10 card necessarily, but I could easily see buy lists getting into solid position on these. Once people stop cracking this set, which is going to be soonish because these core sets are only ever in standard for a year. And a lot of the intel I had around this set was that it's just it's the lowest print run of the year of anything. Villas is an awesome card, and I was really annoyed when they printed him at uh, rare rather than mythic, sure. because he's very much in the vein of Gristle Brand and Reckonoth. Um, another one that I, I went in on, uh, and we all know how Gristle Brands went over time. Uh, so put a premium in rare made it so much harder to just like, Oh yeah, I'm snapping them all up. Uh, but he is a really good card. He's a huge, awesome demon. It's pay a black mana to draw a card. Wait, let me make sure I get this right. It's pay a black mana to give a creature minus one, minus one and draw two cards. So pay one black, you draw two cards and put a minus and give a creature minus one minus one so that is a very favorable exchange rate um so anywhere that you find big awesome creatures you will find villas uh so all the palia decks and any assorted effects if outlaw was black you could be sure it was there um you know the dollar to two dollars is not thrilling 
But uh, I mean, if you're buying it, you know, 75 cents to a dollar and then you get to buy listies at two to three dollars down the road, um, that's a nice little pickup there. And, you know, if you're doing non-foils, the buy list numbers, the quantities they're buying should be quite high. It should be easier to buy a lot of them and also to buy list a lot of them because they'll, they'll do a lot more for you if you're doing non-foils and foils. And so here's one of the things that helped me go in on 100 copies or so the other day. Card Kingdom is currently paying $1.30 credit already and will take 638 copies. It is a lot of copies. That suggests to me that they are pretty confident <laughs> that this card is going to continue to move as time goes on. Because they are not typically when you see them that excited about a card that just got printed, it usually means it's it's needed in either standard or modern or both. Um, for them to be targeting EDH cards like that that early says that it's already selling briskly at their posted. Oh, price. yeah. Yeah, I believe that for sure. Because it's, it's a cool card. It does things people want to do. Pay mana, draw cards. What's not to love? All right. My second pick of the week is, uh, is Leyline of Anticipation. Uh, foils out of Magic 2020. M20 is it 20 it is 2020 um kind of mid the long on this currently these are sitting at about seven dollars right now for these foils um there it's in uh eight and a half thousand edh rec decks so it's pretty popular in edh it's also a very popular casual like weird modern combo type card um, if you've been around modern for a long time you'll know you've definitely seen this pop up here and there because people want to build stupid decks with it um goofy combos that require playing at instant speed and so forth uh it's also actually like good good in several commander decks and some modern fringe decks actually do want the card like legitimately uh the m11 foils are over 35 dollars uh, now that i read that too i might have been thinking that the Abyssin restored foils on gisella were 35 because i remember writing it for leyline of anticipation either way uh, the old M11 foils for Leyline of Anticipation are over $35. So, and these M21s are $20. Now, the what I don't know here it really is I don't have a good sense of the um, the foil distribution, right? We, we were talking about this. We don't exactly know how this is going to impact the prices yet because we don't have a feel for the, what the supply change is. I do think that over time, these cards will be good payoffs i don't think that the foil supply is so great that demand won't eventually overcome it um the entire lara block for instance had the foil packs which dramatically increased foil supply and foils still do okay out of that those sets it just might take a little bit longer to get there that's the only real concern but regardless i think foil ley lines out of m20 with a much better art too mind you uh, are in real good shape i don't think you're going to see foil reprints on this for a long time um, so you might have to wait a little bit longer than you might want to, but I have no doubt that you'll get paid if you hold on to them. Yeah, all solid analysis. I've got three points to add. One is that if you go to EDH Rec and you're looking up M20, um, you won't see this card show up on the page, and that's because it's a reprint, and they don't tend to show those. They only show the mm. new cards and how they're getting picked up in decks. If it was shown on the page, it would be by far and away the most popular card from M2020 for Commander. Um, it also carries the benefit of constantly being mentioned on in Commander slash EDH content, including Command Zone, Josh Lee Quike, always talking about Fidelkin Orrery and Leyline of Anticipation. It came up in the 
um, in their deck upgrades video that just launched this afternoon. And it was mentioned in the last couple of videos where they were reveal revealing stuff from this set on Wizards' behalf. So, you know, when the hosts of the most important commander media source are constantly talking about a card, it's going to move some cardboard. The other thing, oh, yeah. the other thing is that though I am shot gun shy about the foils from Core Twenty Twenty, given the higher than usual drop rate, I think that because that the uh, lower print run of the set may counteract that, so that had they used normal drop rate on foil, sorry, the yeah, the old drop rate on foils, they might already be scarce on some of these cards that we are otherwise shying away from, and I think it's going to matter more when we get to Thr Throne of Eldraine as a fall set because its print run will be very high, usually the highest of the year. And I suspect those foils are going to be worth steering away from to a greater degree. Um, especially since you also have to contend with whatever happens with the collector boosters. And there's a whole bunch of question marks there as we're going to talk about shortly. Um, bottom line is the art on ley line of anticipation is better. As you said, the foils aren't really that deep. Even if the drop rate was higher, there's not that many listings um, and I went ahead and bought 10 of these the other day um, because it was the one of the only foils from the set that I thought had such strong demand in Commander that it would probably overcome whatever was causing me to hesitate on the foils in general. I picked them up from our sponsor, Cool Stuff Inc. They had a really good sale going on. Uh, standard singles were 10% off. I think they still are um, at the time of this recording. And I also have the 12.5% customer rewards with them that stacks to 22.5% off. So I got these foils for something like six twenty-five a piece. Um, wow, that's really solid. And that seems real solid. That is that is some good stuff right there. I would be very happy to be paying 6 bucks for these. Yeah, I, I mean, I filled out a whole $200 cart, um, mostly on the carts we're going to be talking about this week. So my next pick also uh, is actually the only one on my list this week not from uh, Core 2020 or... Uh, other than Reflecting Pool, uh, Sahili Rai foils out of Kaladesh are starting to dry up on the back of Sahili Rai uh, three-color and four-color builds in Modern, looking like they uh, have pretty significant interest behind them. And there was an article posted on Star City Games today that was talking about in the uh, non-pay-while-protected content that was talking about uh, four-color Sahili being something that people could be looking at post-Hogak as a deck that might be better positioned uh, than it was prior. And the latest list, this was from Ben Friedman, and the latest list that he posted looked very tight indeed. It was, let me just pull it up here since it's not paid content. We can talk about it. He called it Four Color Snow Healy, mm. and it's four Felidar Guardian mm. and four Saheeli Rai. So that's the the crux, the, the core Splinter Twin-esque combo. And then he runs four Seasoned Pyromancer, two Snapcaster Mage, four Ice Fang Coatl, Three Teferi Time Raveler, three Renin Six, four Lightning Helix, four Path to Exile, four Arkham's Astrolab, and four Serum Visions. That is a stack of very powerful cards. That is a wild deck list. But it there's a lot going on there. Yeah, but it it rings true to me versus some of the earlier lists I saw on this on the confidence of the four ofs and the overall power level of the cards in question. To see like things like Snapcaster Mage and Season Pyromancer together, you know, tremendous value engines. You've got this Sahili plus Felidar core combo, but it's not your it's not like one of these other combo decks where, like, for instance, in Jeskai Ascendancy, you've gotta find an ascendancy. Um, and in the you know Urza decks, you really wanna find an Urza. This this is a deck that looks like it can do work and and kind of hold off the opponent 
whether or not it's found its combo pieces yet because it's got Ren and Six engines going. It's got Ice Fang Kawadal on the back of using snow-covered lands and four Prismatic Vista. Lightning Helix and Path to Exile are well-positioned, you know, especially heading post-Hogak um, against uh, like Red Prowess decks, uh, Mono Red Phoenix, Burn decks, etc., um, which is why he eschews four Lightning Bolt in, in favor of Helix. Um, interesting. By no means guaranteed to post up in the you know top four decks of the format post Hogak, which is probably something like Dredge, Tron, uh, Humans, and Phoenix. But interesting enough that people are going to be looking for copies of Skeely Rai, and if they commit to the deck, they might look at them in foil. There's a nice deep ramp forming, and Sahili has kind of long-term interest in EDH as well, because it's already in 3,000 decks reported there, 5% of all blue-red decks, and because of the synergy she has with blue-red artifact themes, which come back again and again in Commander, um, very unlikely to be ever knocked off that podium. I mean, pretty much if you're playing anything from Brea to insert your blue-red Commander of choice with with artifact sub-themes, Sahili Rai is going to make that deck. This is uh, a real potent card, and I'm kind of inclined to say my biggest problem with it is a foil is probably destined to do better than the uh, $32 you have listed here. Um, you're paying 20 bucks, but this you know we're looking at 26 vendors on TCG Player, and the only people that have more than two are charging $40. So uh, I think that with... I have also noticed the increase in people playing Sahili Rai in modern, even in the face of Hogak, and they kind of keep giving more tools to the deck. Um, it's also going to remain pretty popular in, you know, decently popular in EDH. Uh, I think a p- modern combo playable, a, a well demonstrated modern combo playable Planeswalker with additional demand profile uh, is. You know, it's, it's going to keep getting older. So I definitely like these to go from 20, I mean, even 40, possibly even 60 seems a reasonable outlook here. Maybe not, you know, it's not going to be tomorrow, but I like your uh, I like your bet here. What, one of the things that's interesting with Planeswalkers especially, especially, you know, pre-War of the Spark Planeswalkers that were all mythic, is that if a deck in Modern is running them as a four of, and... If the only real reprint outlet is a Masters-style set, they tend not to print cycles of Planeswalkers into those sets. You're lucky usually if you get one or two Planeswalkers reprinted because they've got a lot of other stuff they got st- they got to stick in there. And very rarely is there a coherent cycle of Planeswalkers that makes sense to reprint. Usually they're being pretty tactical about it, like, Modern needs another Liliana of the Veil reprint, so you're going to get that. But it's pretty unlikely that Sahili would be a major priority. Now, that doesn't mean she couldn't catch a reprint, but it's very you have a very narrow slice of the product mix where she could appear, and an even narrower mix where she could appear in foil. And so far, there's nothing announced that could even remotely challenge you, so you're probably going to get minimum 6 to 12 months. And if you get that product announced, call it Modern Masters 2020 or something, and she isn't there then you've got all the time in the world to make your money. Yeah, that's really the good catch is that it's, there's not that many places to put her. And of the places that they would put her, there's so many candidates that the odds of getting hit here are pretty low. So it's not the kind of thing I want 30 or 40 copies of, but I'd be real happy to have four or eight. And I went and had and picked those up, uh, I think, at Cool Stuff as well, um, using the 12.5% off uh, at like level eight. 
to get them for under $17 a piece. Market price is somewhere around 20 as I said. Cool. Um, and you've got quite a pile here, so why don't you give us a couple in a row? So I'll talk about these quickly. Um, these are all other rares that are showing up in hundreds of decks on EDH Rec already that have relatively unique effects that I think are under people's radar because they aren't doing anything really for standard or modern. So Flood of Tears is the Cyclonic Rift style card that lets you um, drop a permanent back into play under certain conditions. You can currently pick those up like Villas around 75 cents to a dollar. I think they're going to end up buy listing at two or three dollars. I would think that this is a, you know, a lower priority spec. You don't need to be in a rush to pick them up. There's plenty of them out there. You could wait for a di- like a 20-30% off discount coupon or something and, and then scoop them up as part of a larger basket. Um, definitely not the kind of thing that's going to drain right away. But I could see two, three years out by listing them for double what you got in on them for. Um, so I'd say that's probably my lowest priority spec of the, of the week. One of the cards I can't believe nobody's talking about is Shared Summons. This is the five mana uh, instant speed double creature tutor out of M20 that I didn't even know existed till a week ago. Completely missed it in the original set list. They're out there for 50 cents a piece. Being able to pick to tutor for two separate creatures at the end of an opponent's turn usually means you can win on your turn. And if and if you don't are if you're building say Jason Alt 75% style and you're not trying to win quite that easily, you can still put a bunch of busted or funny things on the battlefield using that card. And it's a unique effect to be able to go double tutor at instant speed. So at 50 cents, I think these are a lock, say, in a, on a two-year cycle to end up buy listing at two bucks or so. Um, I love the fact that this was printed not in a fall set, but in a summer set. So the overall inventory is going to be much lower. And I think foils are like two bucks a piece or something. That seems crazy low. Those foils should end up, even with the extra foils and the promo pack foils for this set, I would imagine you'll see those foils at 5 to $10, say, three three years out. Well, it's funny to hear you say that because I was looking at this in your spec list earlier and I don't, I don't love this card. I don't think it's like that good. (laughs) Um, But that doesn't mean other people won't. It's just, I look at it and I'm like, eh, five mana for two to two different creatures. Eh. At instant speed Uh, At sorcery, it's a lot less exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, so I have multiple times on this cast been pretty lukewarm on a card and been completely wrong about it so i'm like totally willing to own that that i could just have the read on this wrong but i think that that aspect of it isn't too exciting it is the, um currently it is the 11th most popular card from this set for edh rec 440 decks 42 decks reported um but Given that it's two different creatures, it's instant speed, and it's in the color that ramps the hardest, it's a, effectively a three or four mana spell that does that tutors twice at the end of your opponent's turn. And, I, and that's very unique in the format, and I think is going to... Green is the, probably the most powerful color in Commander, and people will find a... This is the definite... Instant speed tutor is the definition, the poster child for open-ended synergy. Because... All you need is to be in green with creatures, and this card makes sense in your deck. And because it was from a core set, it could be years until we see a reprint. What is that card? So there's, I guess there's a lot, a lot of Marie's Call is two mana, instant speed, creature tutor. 
And that's obviously very popular. Mm-hmm. What is that other one? Well, I mean, um, it, it definitely competes against some of the sorcery speed stuff and some of the instant speed stuff that does specific, more specific things. So you've got Collect a Company, Finale of Devastation, all of those style of effects. But it's very Court of Calling, etc. Um, but to get two different creatures lets you pull up so many different options and then just go right off. That was, uh, yeah, there's the other one, the three mana one from Ravnica, whose name like, escapes me. But I think those put it on top of your deck, not in your hand. But I mean, I think it's, I think it's a, I think it's a pretty good shot. I, it's, it's my least favorite of the list. How about that? But I don't think it's a bad choice. You, you like it less than Flood of Tears? Uh, I, okay, I guess not. <laughs> yeah <laughs> flood of but, tears and shared summons are like i i'm totally on board with everything else those are the two that i'm like eh, Fl- eh. Flood of tears but again is, i've been wrong plenty of times flood of tears is generic is the thing so it it's not going to excite people and doesn't necessarily play into combos as hard as shared summons does shared summons to me is a combo in a box like you're basically just Whatever you you were trying to do, you're about to do it as soon as that card, if they don't counter that spell. Um, and I think it's going to pass Voracious Hydra, Flood of Tears, and Veil of Summer on this list and end up in the top five or six cards for the set. The, the other ones that are ahead of it, the first one is Field of the Dead, which we talked about a few weeks back. Risen Reef is number two, but it's an uncommon. Then you have Scheming Symmetry, Villas, which we already talked about, Agent of Treachery, um, which I think is going to get lost in the shuffle over time because it's specific to controlling other permanents. Lotus Field, which I don't think is going anywhere. And then Mystic Forge is ahead of it, which is uh, has been a buy as well. Um, but the last card I'm going to talk about this week is Elvish Reclaimer, um, also on a long-term basis, so looking 12 months plus out. Currently available at 2 bucks, so one of the more expensive rares on this list. Um, but I'm calling it to go two to five on the back of the fact that this card is much more busted than people are giving it credit for. It's already been doing well in legacy tournaments because in legacy it can do all sorts of nastiness. Um, this is the one where you get to tap it and uh, go fetch up a land, any land, and put it into play, right? So it's a one, two for one elf warrior gets plus two, plus two. If you have three or more land cards in your graveyard. So it fits really well in, in decks like Gitrog and wind grace that are doing a bunch of land cycling in and out of the graveyard. And then it's special ability is to tap sack a land, search your library for a land card, put it into the battlefield tapped. So you can sack a basic, go get Gaia's cradle. That is never going to be bad in commander and is a fairly unique effect to have on a creature. So um, I like these a lot at two bucks. Legacy play, uh, notwithstanding, maybe it ends up seeing some modern play um, at some point. But I think on the back of just the commander play, I'm comfortable getting these at two, sitting on them for a year to year and a half, and looking to out them on buy list in the four to five dollar range. So I'm definitely on board with Elvis Reclaimer here. I think this card is awesome. Um, crop rotation is an insanely busted card as evidenced by the fact that foils of that are $180 for the Ursus legacy copies. Uh, and this is prop rotation on a stick. Um, I would be surprised if it doesn't find room in modern at some point, I guess the challenge is that it might be legacy is a surprisingly interactive format and modern has had struggle, has had 
trouble getting to the place where it is interactive um, and it's possible that modern won't get to be interactive enough that this card is good and uh, and legacy also has a, a bevy of utility lands from wasteland to gaia's cradle and whatever that make this ability stronger there correct and they've been trying pretty hard to print more balanced lands so uh, that could be an issue as well. It, regardless, though, the card is legitimate, um, and I like this as a as a as a type of card as as essentially an old school spec where I'm not going. Okay, look, it's showing up in these four modern decks. The, the supply is dwindling, demand is clearly there. Like we're going to see it move in the next three months. This is more of a true spec. Like the card's awesome and the price is low, and I think that people are going to do something with this and kind of moving on it in that in that sense um and and to that end i think it's a good choice and some of the buy lists are already over a dollar 60 so your downside is pretty limited you're talking about 20 percent or less exposure um and that's at peak supply we are at peak supply now for this set yeah and if this and if these cards don't go anywhere most of these cards seem very unlikely to make a splash in standard this fall unless throne of eldraine throws a theme at us that makes some of them suddenly good so, again, you don't necessarily need to be in a huge rush to pick these off, but they are things that you might want to be hanging around on your to-do list when you're putting carts together and you've got a thick coupon on hand. Yeah, they're good for, to just kind of have in the back of your head, and when you get around to place an order, you grab these while you're there type of thing. I, I won't be surprised if half of these end up on a list of foils in six months when they finally drain. And they look like they're at a tipping point and we end up talking about them all over again. And it's going to be one of those cases where if you went in early, you wasted more time tying up resources than you needed to. So the, uh, you know, I would say that Reflecting Pool and Sahili Rye Foils are probably immediate priorities. The rest of this M20 stuff, you pick your entry point based on the coupon strength. Sure. I buy, I buy it. Um, I'm going to finish off with a card that I may have actually already picked. And I was thinking about this earlier. I'm like, did I pick this one? I don't remember. But I'll pick it anyways just because I can. Um, Spring Bloom Druid out of Modern Horizons. Uh, foils are currently about 350 or so, uh, depending on where you're shopping. Spring Bloom Druid is the Harrow on a Stick. Now it is a common, right? So we're talking about foil commons. But um, it's up to 1,500 modern decks already. Um, Harrow is a really good card in modern or in EDH. But the reason that it doesn't see as much play is because if it gets countered, you just paid three mana to sack a land. But now uh, on a creature, it means you get to resolve the spell without sacrificing the land um, until you're ready to. And also you can blink it to do it over and over again, which is pretty nutty. Uh, and if you have something like Splendid Reclamation in your deck, you can... You know, you can get a couple triggers off of this, put a bunch of your busted lands in the play, and then Splendid Reclamation, a bunch of them black or back or Creeping Renaissance or what have you. Um, so I think this is going to be a very popular card. Supply is is medium-ish, so it's not like it's it's not empty, but it's not humongous either. Um, and so I think this is just another, like, keep this in the back of your head. Uh, you know, if you're out there, you're shopping, you've got a coupon, check and see if they have any foil spring Spring Bloom Druids in stock uh, and grab them, you know, at three to four bucks if they do, because I think uh, you're going to be pleasantly surprised with where you find these down the road. A couple of things. Modern Horizons is well past peak supply now. Um, and I have had trouble. I've been looking at these foils from early on, too, and I've been f having trouble finding them. 
I was originally buying them in the two to three dollar range. Now you're seeing them in the three to five dollar range, depending on where you're looking. And a lot of the the mid sized vendors online are just sold out because commander players and speculators have already gone after them. Um, I've got a, mm-hmm. I've got a Russian foil sitting around that I'm probably gonna, I wouldn't accept probably less than thirty bucks for because as you said, like this this is just a great effect in the format. Um, it was printed in a premium set. The foils are there are the foil. This is the set before core 2020 so it's the old foil drop rate it's and it's not unlike a master set where you had a foil in every pack that was not true in modern horizons so you typically only get two or three foil commons per box um and looking for a specific one takes many cases so there aren't that many of these around and they're already forming up a pretty decent ramp i I think this is a future eight to ten dollar foil and it could be as early as a year from now yeah that's pretty much the same page i'm on so Okay, uh, let's move on to segment three. Nine fat picks. Mm -hmm. Nine. Nine. Nine gorgeous curvy picks. Um, We'll move on to the uh, the modern league here. Uh, Right off the top of the bat, something something fun here. Nahiri the Harbinger. That was all over modern. That has gotten a lot quieter over the last year, but that was all over the place. To fairies, Renin Sixes, uh, Birds, Niv Mizzet Reborn. Right. So that's kind of telling you what the deck is. Uh, but boy, these Niv Mizzet Reborn decks are just really something else, right? Like, they are a good time. They're 5 0 every week, is the bottom line. So they must, and this is in Hogak land. So they must be, must be something going on there. I mean, yes, these are these lists are handpicked, and you need to keep an eye on whether it's the same person. Because as we've said many times with Modern, you can be an expert in a Tier 2 deck and still clean up League. Um, you got to get get a little lucky with your matchups and, you know, play very well. But it can certainly happen. We, we also see, you know, there was multiple Niv-Mizzet lists, like, <laughs> by... Uh, and mul- multiple... And with different, slightly different configurations. But one of the things I like about this is this is one of five or six different decks that has converted to all of their basics being snow covered. And one of the bigger opportunities that we didn't talk about in our expansive pick list this week is that foil snow basics, because they have a higher drop rate in Europe, even if they are in English boxes, have been flowing by the thousands from Europe to North America. And once that faucet turns off, you're going to see foil snow basics start to climb. And I think that could be six months out, probably more likely 12 to 18 months out, but they're going to get back to the levels they were at just as the set was releasing. And if any of the snow decks start posting up in top eights on a regular basis, and they're using, you know, five to 10 foil snow basics, or snow basics, you're going to see those foils do very well for us. Um, people were, we had an offer from a vendor the other day through pro trader that was like $20 for one of each. So that's like valuing the foil basic Island snow Island at say eight and the other is at three apiece. That's a very good deal. But I started negotiating it to try to get a slightly better price. And by the time I was done doing that, they had just sold out. <laughs> so if you've got your connection set up in Europe or you're a pro trader, you want to be reaching out and trying to get, if you can get sets even in the 25 to $30 range, I think you're doing just fine. And you just want to throw those, you know, in a box for a year or so, and then revisit. And I think you're going to be in 
great shape. There are way more decks looking at those cards than people are, you know, really wrapping their heads around. I am really tempted by the foil snow lands, and that's the type of thing that I could have seen myself in years past just shoveling into my house by the truckload and then just sitting quietly and waiting. Um, in fact, uh, if you were watching Twitter at one point, Sperling was complaining about them because he's like, there's essentially no reason not to play them. He's like, you know, back in uh, the, you know, you had Blood Moon and that punished people for playing non basics. And it wasn't eloquent uh, or graceful, but it did accomplish the goal of, of saying there's a cost to playing these better lands. And there is no such a cost for playing Snowlands. There is nothing that punishes you for that. And he was kind of annoyed. He's like, there really should be, because at the moment, why would I play anything else? Well, and, uh, and, and one of the issues is that even if you don't need them, if you have no basis for using them, you, you gain right. an information advantage by suggesting that you might. Even if they yep. don't see it in uh, your main deck, maybe they start wondering what's in your sideboard. And that was heaven forbid if we get an actual snow set in the next 18 months and they don't and they give us snow basics but they're not full art i mean then it's just going to go crazy yep and i think that it's i mean we agree that it's very likely that snow is going to be going to be in standard at some point in the next year or so um and that that's exactly it as is there's literally no downside to playing these in your deck now um there's no cost to it whatsoever so Anyone who wants to play for real should be playing with these. Should be packing snow basics, uh, and I think you're going to see you're going to see that. Um, and the supply is going to have a lot of pressure put on it over time. The only downside I can see is that let's say that, I, like for instance, we think Theros is the first set in 2020, right? Let's say we're wrong, and that's Keldheim, which is the most likely suspect for the next snow based plane. Um, and it comes soon, and they do give full art snow basics, and they're prettier, well, then that's a problem. <laughs> because you might get stuck holding a bunch of stuff that is certain, suddenly more common um, than you were expecting. So there is a there is some risk there that is not insignificant. I just, I don't see them printing the full arts is the thing. I mean, I'm not saying they they won't, but they seem to kind of be trying to hold that for special sets keep in mind they gave us full art wastes in battle for zendikar which was the first introduction of those of those lands True. so i mean it could have been like yes this is the first this is the first time out so we're going to give them to you and that was a zendikar set too remember mm-hmm. which is the one that pioneered the full arts that was their thing yeah so so we do see uh ice fang quaddle show up in another completely different list this is the ephemerate uh, soul herder list that's been making the rounds so it that list seems to be fully capable of 5-0-ing and is running you know the full complement of prismatic vistas and something like eight snow lands um, you see the twiddle uh, combo deck 5 would a couple different times you've got some merfolk some hogak of course which is probably in truth the dominant deck of the week who knows could be 40% of all all leagues one could be Hogak. They're just not showing it to us here. Um, got some storm stuff, some humans, affinity. Um, there is another uh, another snow deck um, coming at it from a completely different angle. This is an updated version of the uh, 
Saltai spells with wilderness reclamation that we were seeing a couple months back. But this one hmm. eschews the black and goes straight green-blue. Um, it runs four Ice Fang Quaddle, two Snapcaster Mage, an Archmage's Charm, a Blue Sun Zenith, four Cryptic Command, three Fatal Push, I guess is the only remaining black card in the main list, four Grow Spiral, three Mystical Teachings, I guess you can argue that's black, Nexus of Fate, four Remand, two Rite of Undoing. Um, that is a Delve card that returns target non-land permanent you control and target non-land permanent you don't control to their owner's hands for four and a blue. Haven't seen that in modern in my. Well, can't imagine ever. I don't remember ever seeing that in modern before. <laughs> Four Arkham's Astrolab and three Wilderness Reclamation. So this is three different lists that five owed with four Ice Fan Coatle. Yeah, I think that card is. That and Goblin Engineer, I think, are my hottest picks out of Modern Horizons. And I keep picking other cards out of Modern Horizons every week because I think that there are other good targets. But the truth of it is it, it's probably just those two. And, and Goblin Engineer doesn't have the legs yet in Modern compared to Coatle because it has 5-0'd and top 8 top 8 of the Pro Tour. But Grixis Urza looks like it might be shifting away from it. I've seen recent lists that aren't running it at all. Um, so... Its position in modern in the near future, at least, is not nearly as assured as, you know, tier two Ice Fang decks look very real. Like, yeah, at, I at, mean, at FNM, like, which is what actually matters, it seems like it's probably going to move a lot of copies. Yeah, I think that, you know, Goblin Engineer's time in the sun may not be now. And truthfully, it may not be 2020. Um, even if it's not if it's not the Urza deck, it might be something that comes down the road. Uh, I just would be absolutely floored if a card with that potency didn't do something eventually there's also a 5-0 updated scred red list running 16 snow-covered mountains running three scrying sheets and three frost walk bastions also runs four arkham's astrolab three karn the great creator three karn scion of urza three season pyromancer three anchor of the gods four lightning bolt four scred and a chandra awakened inferno i would love 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 and so would my spec box for this deck to become a thing all the time. There's at least <laughs> eight specs in this deck that are sitting in my spec box. Well, I wish the best of luck to you on that on that front. Sadly, I go ahead. Sadly, no, sadly what? Sadly, Scred tends to just do this, like poke its head up here and there, but never really get anywhere. Yeah, I think that's probably the case. Um, but you never know. Maybe uh they do keep printing cards that approximate lightning bolt very well which was always scred's appeal was that it got a really good lightning bolt right um i noticed a cheerios popped in down here uh but it doesn't do anything exciting it's the same thing that we've seen out of the deck before so uh no no fresh juice there to be found in that version there's a blue white control list in here that's blue white planeswalkers running eight planeswalkers total three jace the mind sculptor three narset part of avails a teferi hero of dominaria and a teferi time reveler that's not that weird but there's a couple of interesting choices here they're running two dragon lord ojitai main that's mm. my frontier deck and I haven't seen that in a little while yeah and two ruined halo which i'm assuming is probably anti-hogak tech in the main <laughs> ojitai huh I like the Ojitai. It was a nifty card. 
Not exactly my speed, but I can respect it. I, I'm looking for the card in here that untaps him and not finding it. But I guess part of the, the deal here is that... Huh. You can't use Teferi Time Raveler to cast it at instant speed, so... Oh, they're untapping it with uh, Minimo School at Water's Edge. Mm. Running a single copy. Doesn't take much. Uh, I see somebody wedged Madcap Experiment into their Scapeshift deck. <laughs> That's fun. Uh, my friend has a stack of Madcap Experience because he was convinced that that was going to take off after they printed it. Uh, if he had bought Platinum Imperians, I think he would have been a little happier. Yep. Um, but I mean, I, I kind of see that. You know, my one of my buddies, um, Bill Bolden, the guy who did the Magic album from quite a few years ago, you'll remember, that Pat Chapin wrapped on, uh, was chatting with me and asked me why I think that uh, no one has combined Valkit with Field of the Dead in Modern yet. Um, I, ha- I actually had that same thought last week. And I was yeah. I, I was wondering whether it was because Valakut was just like the better route to victory, so you didn't bother with the Field of the Dead because you wanted to have colors or something. Well, you know, you could make the argument that uh, Field of the Dead represents an alternate win condition path, where instead of just trying to put all the damage in your opponent's face, it makes a bunch of bodies, kind of the same way Storm runs uh, Empty the Warrens, right? Sure. Um, I guess my concern there is that people aren't trying to be scape shift with ley line of sanctity for the most part they're trying to beat it by making the scape shift not good enough or like being unable to cast escape shift i just don't think field of dead is a good card <laughs> i think it's fine and standard but i don't think it's a modern card um but i mean i wouldn't be surprised to see people try it so you know keep an eye out for that it's also going to require an insanely tuned mana base you can't just throw some lands together and get it right that's going to require some work to figure out yeah but I guess we're keeping. I don't know why I felt the need to talk about this, but keep an eye out. Let me know if you find anyone running Valakit and Field of the Dead in Modern. I'd be curious. Yeah, I, I am curious to see whether that will be a thing at some point. There's another Sahili Rai Felidar Guardian deck, also with four Ice Fang Quaddle. This one's a little different, has a slightly different configuration. They're running full four Teferi Time Raveler and four Oath of Nisa, so that they're disparate Planeswalkers, because they're running a blue-red Planeswalker, a white-blue Planeswalker, and Renin Six is a red-green Planeswalker, so Othanisa helps fix for all of that and goes and uh, digs for a creature land or Planeswalker card. So that's interesting. Um, I mean, in, in some ways, we're, you know, predicting from a position of handicap because everybody's pretty much convinced at this point that Hogak's getting banned on August 26th, which is in what? 13 days. Yeah, and I, I actually, that's a good time to point out that uh, I, I wanted to mention this earlier and I forgot. Aaron Forsyth, uh, irrespective of nothing, like there was nothing going on, just tweeted, we're not emergency banning anything. The next ban update list is August 26th. <laughs> like he, he, that was not in response to somebody. That was not well, the entire community yelling at him and he responded. It was just sort of like out of the blue, well, there, the, which to me could not be any more of a tacit. <laughs> a nod that appro- it's, the banning is coming, nod, but not until the 26th. Yes. Yes, uh, yeah. I agree with that conclusion. There was there was some ripples on social media that he was responding to, though. I, I will say that. Um, well, but that's been going on since they for the last like three weeks. So that's been going on since the pro tour. There was nothing like that day, right? Well, it, was, it was just more. I, I felt like having monitored social media that there was a critical mass of comments building, and that they felt like it was time to just make a make a comment. Um, 
Here's here's a 5-0 list that's pretty interesting. We've seen multiple sc- lightning skeletal lists uh, get there on the back of Thunderkin Awakener being able to pull them back out of the graveyard. Um, here's a list that leans into the elemental theme pretty hard. Three Creeping Trailblazer. People are going to have to go look that up for sure. Four Flamekin Harbinger. Yeah, not me. I'm not looking it up at all. <laughs> Two Fulminator Mage. Four Lightning Skelemental. One Omnath, Locus of the Royal in Modern. Four Risen Reef. Two Smoke Braider. Four Thunderkin Awakener. Four Vesper Lark. Splashing into white for the Elemental um, that can return creatures with power one or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So I guess what you do is when they kill the first Thunderkin Awakener, you use the Vesper Lark to get, back, get it back so that you can keep ruling. And then three Voice of Resurgence, three Collected Company, and four Ether Vial. Very interesting. That sounds, uh, that's something. And you know, actually, further down the page, there's another Lightning Skelemental deck that does not run Thunderkin Awakener. It's uh, Lightning Skelemental, some Monastery Mentor, and then both Pyromancer versions, Young and Seasoned, um, along with a pile of spells. So they're not even bothering either. Um, so clearly lightning skull mental has some real, I'm going to call it lags for lack of a better term, has some momentum, some angular momentum in modern here. See Teferi time raveler all over the place. And this card is currently sitting at $10. Can we agree that this is a future $20 card? Oh yeah. I'm, I'm just waiting for the time when I'm, when I'm supposed to pull the trigger on that. Like I have looked that card up so many times trying to buy it. And it's never been, it hasn't been right yet, but it's going to be one of these days. Yeah. I mean, it's just like the Urza deck is running a single copy of it and another one on the board. <laughs> yeah. That that effect of just forcing your opponent to play at sorcery speed is plenty powerful. It's not a question of whether he's good. It's just a question of when is the right time to buy in. I mean, I, I'm already sitting on some, and I've got a couple of foil Japanese copies that I'm in no rush to sell at a low price. Yeah. Um, All right, so, I mean... So, should, should, moderns look... If you go only by the modern league pages that are hand-curated to look good, <laughs> look the good. format looks good. Yeah, it looks really good. <laughs> um, but, it does, but it does speak to, you know, what we're going to be facing post-Hogak. Um, especially at your local level. There's going to be all the decks that you're familiar with. Like I said, Tron, Dredge, uh, Blue-White Control, Humans, various form versions of Arclight Phoenix. But that level right below that, like if you want to play fun, competitive modern, it looks like you have as many options as you've ever had. Yes. And probably yeah, more. Definitely. I wonder I wonder if with Hogak being banned, people will finally be able to say that modern is a good format. It feels like it's close. It feels like it's really close to being a good format where I know, you know, people have spoken before about how it wasn't good. It was just needed to be played. But uh, I, I don't know. I'm hopeful that it will come together. One of the things I think is interesting is that most of these interesting decks don't lean on the cards that if player satisfaction was not a major concern in terms of ruining people's decks they've invested into getting rid of say ancient stirrings and faithless looting i think everybody could agree to like if there was some kind of compensation program that was like well executed and could be reliable reliably compensate people for their deck becoming unplayable potentially which is never going to happen but let's just say that that happened 
I think that everybody could pretty could get behind at least experimenting with ancient stirrings and faithless looting being gone, right? Um, and oh and yeah, that, that feels like it would leave us in a place where a whole bunch of interesting value engine driven mid range decks were battling it out, which I think would be a pretty good format. I I think wizards. M- might get to the point where they just take faithful suiting and ancient stirrings like i guess with modern horizons just having been released and hogak being in modern horizons we don't actually know what a fair modern horizons feels like and they're probably not going to be inclined to do a major shakeup to the format like banning banning faithful suiting while uh modern horizons still feels relatively unexplored um but you know i do think there could be a time where they just say hey you know what these decks another one of these decks popped up again it's like the 10th time uh you know the cards in your deck are good and powerful we're gonna get rid of faithless looting it's gonna screw up a lot of decks but that doesn't mean all of your cards are bad um you know and that's just sort of the cost of doing business here so i would really like to see it and frankly i don't think most players would be upset you might have the guy at the store who just bought into dredge the day beforehand uh and then it gets screwed because of it but i think that the reward for building a more exciting modern that feels like it's brand new again is well worth a couple of people who might get burned on that all right so let's talk a little bit about the throne of eldraine collector boosters we made this a topic a couple weeks back um and i'm just following up on it because you know something pretty interesting is going on there was a couple of smaller vendors that were pre-selling these 12 uh, booster pack boxes for about 210 or so, and they've sold out. And most of the known vendors, you know, like all the mid-sized vendors that are partnered with MGG Price, your, you know, cool stuffs and your card kingdoms and your channel fireballs and whatever, nobody has this stuff posted for sale, which is kind of odd. Um, because they could be pre-selling it. They they know what their cost basis is. Apparently, distributor cost is like 14 bucks a pack or something right now, which is suggesting that you're looking at probably $250 to $300 boxes at your local LGS if they are even selling them in box form and are getting enough where they're not just going to be distributing them single pack at a time as part of their buy a box program. And I think that the people that got in on these early are going to do just fine. I, I never pulled the trigger because as we discussed the first time we mentioned this on cast, we didn't know how high variance they were likely to be if they were cracked. Um, we thought that it was possible to get a bunch of jank masterpieces. But it's going to be very interesting to see how this develops. It, I remember you asking me if I thought that the $17 a pack was worth it. And I pretty much I snapped off yes almost immediately, which seemed like it surprised you a little bit. Um, and you know, I didn't buy any, uh, because I am a new homeowner and have absolutely no money, but, uh, it, it, I, I really would be surprised if these aren't, don't average out to be a valuable pack. Um, you know, the variance might be very high and makes it unpalatable for, to, to, to crack them and try and resell them because even with 12 you could potentially miss and just hemorrhage value but the you know there could be a couple superstars in there that really distribute the price pretty evenly and i really have to commend wizards 
for what so far is feeling like a very good implementation here. Because as somebody who has uh, has only interacted with the premium cards as a essentially a speculator and middleman, uh, I feel like I'm kind of priced out on not priced out, but like I have no good entry point because there is no channel through which I can get these at the quote unquote MSRP because the only place to get them is at your local store. And I just don't have the social capital anymore at any stores to go get them. And so, but the people who do are exactly the people who can't be on eBay at three o'clock and mash buy it now from four different accounts. So, um, you know, time will tell, but I really feel like they they found a good distribution model here that's going to work out best for the players who want them. I, I need to see what is in these packs. That's that's yeah, the key. Well, so, I, <laughs> sure, <laughs> even if they like, if they go up tonight and you're you've got a thousand bucks that just drops in your lap, would you make this a priority, or are you still holding off? What do you mean if they go up tonight? Let's just say that you can get them like whoever had them in stock, game nerds or whoever that had them in stock at two oh eight puts them back up and you what's the 208 workout to Mm, there's 12 packs in a box right so we're talking about 17 a pack and we know that wholesale is 14 yeah probably i mean again you don't even have to get that clever on this because how many premium products has wizards released that if you bought at the outset price you got burned on and the answer is like zero. It, or it's it's Mythic Edition 2, right? I think is the only one. And even then, I think you're actually still okay. Yeah, at retail. Like at you retail, didn't, you, were fine. you didn't Yeah, you didn't profit much, if anything, but you're still okay. So it's just like it's it doesn't feel like you can really miss. It's just I might not really get paid as hard as I'd like to. All right, well, we can call that a wrap for this week. Where can people find you online, sir? Uh, I am on Twitter every week at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N, and I write the Monday Watchtower series on MTG Price. You guys can find me online at MTG Critic on Twitter, as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com. I'm also haunting the Pro Trader Discord Uh, on a regular basis, uh, helping our members get the most out of their membership. Um, I also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Um, I want to actually shout out uh, a, a user testimonial this week um i know there are listeners out there that are potentially lapsed mtg price members from back in the day um and this is uh, a testimonial from somebody who was in the same kind of boat and came back onto pro trader recently and their testimonial reads as follows first deal ever in europe this month thousand dollars in snow foils from one of the other pro trader members couldn't have gone smoother Long-time listener of the podcast that was considering entering the EU market somehow and finally acted on ProTrader and getting back into it. Thanks to the Discord group and MTG Critic who helped me get back into the fold. We're getting these kind of testimonials from people week after week. 
I guarantee you that if you try this service out, you are going to get your money's worth and a whole lot more. So feel free to check it out. Hit us up on Twitter if you want to do a little test run. We'll be happy to help you get into the family. Sounds like a good place for anyone, any enterprising individuals out there that are looking to uh, make and save money, make and save money playing their favorite game. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh. Our, <laughs> uh, our, our, our sponsor probably sells Yu-Gi-Oh anyway. Um, cool. He does. Did you know that we're probably sponsored by CoolStuffInc.com? And that they have, and- have given user 81 kilograms, who's currently hanging out in our Discord, a $25 gift certificate this week. Way to go, cool stuff. Um, once again, MTG, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. You stole my bit. Yeah, I wanted to try it on for size. Fits well. Wow. Wow, I cannot believe you stole my bit. Well, I'm going to join you again next week, but I'm not going to be happy about it. All right. That brings us to the end of MTG Fast Finance Podcast number 181. I really enjoyed our discussion today, despite Travis bailing on our Kingdom Death adventure together. Oh, come on. Come on. I couldn't find a single other person to come with me. It's all right. I only cried for two nights. It's no big deal. Good. Suffer. (laughs) Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you next time on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.